Welcome to Wednesday Night at Faith Assembly, featuring the ministry of Senior Pastor Phil Goss. We're glad you've joined us. Concerned with positions, stir up trouble. Notice what's going on. All the officials, they notice it. Hey, Haman, did you see this? I mean, if they'd just been quiet, everything probably would have just gone on. But they brought it to the attention. They want some promotions. They want to know what's going on. And so when you see people around who want something, what are they going to do? They're going to still have trouble because here, we have a name for that today. It's called playing politics. I want to be promoted. I want to be, okay, he's the high guy. I want to be right under him. I want him to notice how loyal I am. I want him to know this. And so what happens? Mordecai's not doing it. They notice. They take it to Haman. Hey, you're going to let this go on? Come on, you're going to do something. You're the man here. Make him do it. You know, and so whenever you got somebody around who kind of wants uh, a position, they will just start trouble so that they can kind of get in and others out. Just a human nature. Secondly, people with conviction quietly serve. What's Mordecai doing the whole time? Just doing his job. He's not making a big deal out of this. He's just going on with his day-to-day routine. He is serving the king. He is fulfilling his position, fulfilling his duties. You see, when you know you're doing what's right and God's with you, you don't have to try to promote yourself. Bible tells us promotion comes from God. So Mordecai's just doing what is natural, what is normal, not causing a commotion. He didn't bring this up. He didn't go up in, in Haman's face and say, I'm not bowing to you. You don't deserve it. You're, you're not like that. He just, background, he's there unnoticed except by the officials. Hey, you going to let this go on? He just continues to do what's right. That's what you do when you serve God. You just serve others, and you don't need the attention. You don't need to try to stir things up. You just do what God has called you to do. People with pride are subject to rage. If you're a prideful person, you're probably an angry person. Anger is a demonstration of pride. I want my way. My way is right. You need to submit to me. We play the force game. We want to have our way with it, so I'll power up. And so when you can't get your way, and when things aren't going what you, like you want them to go, like you think you deserve or you think it's owed to you, and you use anger to try to get what you want when you bully up, pride's at the root of that. And we all know that pride is deadly, isn't it? Just deadly. And so you have this going on with these guys' political system. They're working the system. Mordecai's just doing what he's supposed to be doing. Everything's going on. Haman finds out. He gets really, really upset. Writer in Proverbs kind of fits in here with what he describes of Haman. Six things the Lord hates. Now, seven. Haughty eyes, pride, lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, 
a person who sows discord in the family. Let me just apply it real quickly. When you sow discord in the family of God, God hates that. Very simple thing. We can take questions tonight. This is a little... uh, Okay, good. I came across this in some of the stuff I was looking at. What people do with authority is a test of character. When someone's put in charge, their character is put to the test by how they handle it. Do they take the pride element of it? I'm in charge here. You do what I tell you to do. And if you don't, I'm going to power up on you and I'm going to make you do what I want. They use their authority to promote themselves or do they do it to help others? Are they glorifying themselves or glorifying God? Are they working for God as they should be and not for themselves and them trying to get what they want as they want it, when they want it? Do people just become pawns for them to manipulate and to use as they see fit? Hey, I'm in charge here. You should do what I want. If that's a heart, that's pride. Pride blinds people to who they really are. Prideful people seldom see that they're prideful. By the way, I just said it. If you're getting angry a lot, if you have a problem with temper, you're prideful. Prideful people don't really see what, who they are, but it makes them insist they want what they don't deserve. And so what we have here is the beginning of a man who is beginning to resent Mordecai's dedication to God. And he comes across and he gets upset because I'm not getting what I deserve. And we're going to see this throughout this book. So what happens? Well, here we begin to understand revenge is not an option for a Christian. Revenge is not an option for a Christian. (laughs) Verse 6. He had learned of Mordecai's nationality, okay? He's Jewish. So he decided it was not enough to lay hands on Mordecai alone. Instead, he looked for a way to destroy all the Jews throughout the entire empire. That's kind of overkill, isn't it? I'm just going to wipe them all out. And so we see that he's just so there. He sees he's a Jew. Now that spikes something in him because in 1 Samuel 15, we're given some background here. 1 Samuel 15 is that great chapter where God tells uh, the king, Saul, to go wipe out the Amalekites. Just go destroy them. Don't take any prisoners. Don't take anything. Just wipe it out. Lay it bare. And he disobeys, and Saul brings back some animals. He says to the prophet, well, I brought him back to sacrifice to God. And the prophet retorts those famous words, obedience is better than sacrifice. Submission is better than the fat of rams. And he brings back the king, Agag. He brings him back. You know, a trophy of him conquering. Saul, because of all of this, this is the breaking point. First Samuel 15, this is when Samuel lets Saul know, you're done. You're no longer going to be the king. Saul tries to get a little bit more out of it. Finally, Samuel takes over, and he says, 
bring me the king. So Haman is related nationality-wise to that king, isn't he? He knows the Jews hate him, and he hates the Jews. So there's history into play here. The Amalekites were always a thorn in the children of Israel's flesh. God's always trying to get at them, get Israel to take care of them. And he has his history. So Sam says, bring the king to me. And he arrived full of hope. He thought, surely the worst is over and probably I'm going to be spared. And Samuel says, as your sword has killed the sons of many mothers, now your mother will be childless. And Samuel cuts him to pieces. Wow, the Old Testament's kind of got it, doesn't it? And so there's that built-in history there. He's a Jew. We hate the Jews. I don't want just one guy. I want them all. And so he, in his head, comes up with this great plot of revenge. We'll just kill them all. We'll just kill them all. You see, people who want revenge are blinded by their anger. When you're angry, you don't see correctly. You think you do. You think you're seeing everything right. But anger blinds you to the truth. And so, I want revenge. I'm, I, I, I'm going to get it all. And then, you know, the people who want revenge, they always take it too far. And it's never just, that's, you know, I'll just deal with hey, uh, Mordecai here. No, 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 I'm taking them all. And you see, when somebody gets on that last nerve of yours, and some of you, that nerve's really short, isn't it? You want revenge, don't you? I'll get even. I'll show them. No one's taking me for a fool. No one's going to run over me. I'm in charge here. I know what's best here. And revenge seldom just remains focused on one. It usually affects a lot of people, doesn't it? You begin to plot. You begin to scheme. You begin to think, well, you know what? I'm going to get even. I'll show them. I'll do this and I'll do this. You know, what they did to me, I'll, I'll, double, I'll double down on that. I'll give them even more. People who want revenge don't trust God. You see, when you want to get even with somebody, you're not trusting God. You're taking matters into your own hands. And that's demonstrating a lack of trust, isn't it? Romans chapter 12. Never pay back evil with more evil. Now, you might want to underline a little word there. It's the first word, never. Well, what about never? Well, you don't never. Well, you don't understand what never. Never pay back evil with more evil. Never. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you're honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Well, hold it. They did that to me. I'm not living in peace with them. Then you're full of pride. 
and you're not in a good position with God. Dear friends, what's the word? Never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For scriptures say, I will take revenge, I will pay them back, says the Lord. Now, you see, here's the irony of this. If Haman were to leave this in the hands of God, who would God go after? Haman. Sometimes when you're wanting revenge and you want God to take care of the other person, you better know something. God's coming after you. 1 Peter chapter 2. He did not retaliate, speaking of Jesus, when he was insulted nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of a God who always judges fairly. How come God can judge fairly? Because God sees what you can't. God sees a heart. God sees a motive. God sees an intention. God sees things you will never see. Well, I know they did this to me and I know they aimed to. No, you don't. Well, I don't think it's right that they do this and get by with it. Who appointed you judge and jury? And you see, you just don't trust God with it. You're trying to take matters into your own hands. You're wanting to do that on your own. God says, never should you do that. What do we do instead? Oh, come on. We forgive. Oh, boy, that's rousing silence there. We let it go. Okay. Uh, and this goes back, I think, a little earlier in what you were talking about. But the question is, will you please describe uh, what discord in a family is? Could you describe what discord means? What does it look like in a family? Well, anger stirs up trouble. And so, in a family, in a marriage, you have two people, and I will bow to the counselor in the room, the, the guy with the degree. So, you correct me if I'm wrong, okay? Indeed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who have different opinions of things, and please hear me, many of those you will never fix. You're just two different people, and that's the way it is. And so you learn to love that person for better or worse. And as I've told you often before, we were just blind to how worse it was going to be. You love them as they are. You accept them as they are. You don't try to change them. You don't try to tell them what they have to You just accept them and go on. You don't stir up discord. As far as it's possible with you, you live at peace. You got a better answer? Or, uh, well, I, I don't it? know that it's better. I think what I was thinking of is, you know, discord is, is primarily, it's a musical term. And if you have a choir, you know, they all sing a bunch of different parts. And if somebody's singing the wrong note, 
it's pretty obvious and it throws the whole thing off and it's discordant. It's not beautiful. It's not good. Yeah. And sometimes discord isn't just disagreement and anger. Sometimes discord is I'm going in a different direction and I'm ruining the direction or I'm creating issues and problems. And so I think it's, it's all of those things. It's anytime we're yeah. pulling things apart instead of putting things together. Walking together in unity yeah. where two have to agree to walk together. Yep. Now, the problem is with somebody in the choir singing in the discord, when you tell them about that, they say, well, no, I'm right. Right? Yeah. I mean, that what yeah. you usually find? But when you're aware that you're wrong, or made aware that you're wrong, then it's up to you to be the one to, to admit it to, to and admit fix it. it. And get, yeah. yeah. But we're not good at that, are we? No. Any more? That's good. Okay. Who you receive advice from is critical. Who are you going to listen to? Now, we're filling in some more of the story here. Verse 7. So, in the month of April, during the twelfth year. Okay, now, let me, let's just bring it up to date. In chapter 1, we were in the third year of the king's reign, correct? It's correct, by the way. Chapter 2, we were in the seventh year of the king's reign. Now, chapter 3... We're in the twelfth year of the king's reign. Five years have gone by. Lots were cast in Haman's presence. These lots were called Purim. It's going to come into play later on in the story. I won't deal with it right now. So literally, they drew, drew straws, cast the dice. It's just a way of making decisions. So to determine, let's figure out the best day in a month to take action. And the day selected was March 7th nearly a year later. So Haman approached the king and said, oh, let me, let me stay here, stay here. So he approaches the king and he says, there's a certain race of people. Notice he doesn't say who. Who are scattered through all the providence of your empire who keep themselves separate from everybody else. They're different. By the way, that's us, correct? Their laws are different from those of any other people, and they refuse to obey the laws of the king. <laughs> yeah, they don't bow to me. So it's not in the king's interest to let them live. Aren't you going to believe this guy? So if it please the king, issue a decree that they be destroyed. Wow. And he sweetens the pot, and he says, I'll tell you what, I will give you 10,000 large sacks of silver. Now, let me give that to you in modern-day terms. 375 tons. That's a lot of money. Boy, when you want revenge, you're willing to go to all extremes to get what you want, aren't you? And let me give it to the government administrators. Now, suffer a moment. Who's the government administrator? Haman. <laughs> okay, I'll give this to you, and then I'll be in charge of it. And I'll, we'll deposit it in the royal treasury. 
And the king agreed, confirming his decision by removing his signet ring from his finger and giving it to Haman and, you know, the, the enemy of the Jews. And the king said, the money and the people are both yours to do with as you see fit. Okay, sweet deal. So, on April 17th, you know, a few days later, quickly, they, they go through. April 17th, the king's secretaries were summoned. Decree was written, just as he said it. And it was sent to the king's highest officers, the governors of the provinces, the nobles, all their own, in all their scripts, and all their languages, throughout the whole empire of what they ruled. Large empire, large group of people. And the decree was written in the name of the king, and it was sealed with his signet ring. That means, you know, scroll rolled up. A piece of clay, signet ring taken, that stamp's put on it. That's, that's a command. It's a law. You're going to do it. Dispatches were sent by swift messengers into all of the providence of the empire, given the order that all the Jews, young and old, including women, children, must be killed, slaughtered, annihilated on a single day. Wow. This was scheduled to happen on March 7th of the next year. So get everything in order. Start taking names. On March 7th, we're all going to do one thing in the, in the empire. We're going to kill every Jew in this empire. That's pretty severe. The property of the Jews will be given to those who killed them. Oh, I'm in. I can now get rich from this. I can now profit from this. Well, why, say, why give them an advance notice? Well, because you give them advance notice, the Jews leave, I get their property. A copy of this decree was to be issued as a law in every providence proclaimed to all the peoples so that they'd be ready to, for their day to do this when, when the day came. And the king's command, the decree went out by swift messengers, and it was also proclaimed in the fortress of Susa. That's where the king dwells, remember? And then the, now notice, this is how this chapter ends. The king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Susa fell into confusion. What's going on? Have you heard? You believe it's true? Is all this going to happen? This king has not been wise so far, has he? He's listened to the wrong people. You don't listen to people who have an agenda. So, let me just, four points I'm done here, I've got go through this real quick. Be careful of people with an agenda. When people want a title and a position, when people want authority, let me just tell you something. When people want authority, you don't want them in authority. And so you've got to be careful of people. And the king should have been careful of Haman seeing what he's doing and how he's operating and what's going on. So be careful. When you've got somebody around who wants an agenda... They'll go to all extremes to get what they want. Always talk to more than one when getting advice. 
You need to talk to someone who differs from you. You need to hear from someone who has another opinion. By the way, that's what's called a healthy marriage. You have one opinion and you have another opinion. Their opinions listen to each other. Well, I'm right and they're wrong. Oh, really? We always think our opinion is right, don't we? But that's another day. We've got any more questions here? We're good so far? Okay. So, you know, when you're getting advice, talk to some people who aren't just going to agree with you and jump in because, oh, yeah, I like you. You do what you want. You're good. No, no, no. You want some honesty from people. Always be aware of how it affects others. The king and Haman are setting up with their feet in the pool, sipping drinks, oblivious to what's going on in their city, or worse, not caring what's going on in their city. And the city's in confusion. In other words, they don't care. So you have to be aware in your decisions, how does this affect other people? How is what I want going to affect others? Not just me, not just the people close to me, but others. Because all throughout Scripture, we are told that we are to consider others before ourselves. correct? We are told that we're to be aware. And if I'm aware that something I'm going to do is going to offend somebody and hurt somebody, I don't do it, right? So I've got to be aware of that. Finally, make sure the advice aligns with Scripture and the Spirit. Make sure you're being obedient to God. When you get angry, you do what you want, not what God says. And so you've got to come to that place where you're willing to listen to the voice of God. Because if you're a Christian here today and you're making decisions, here's what I know. God's Word has some direction for you. And God's Spirit has some advice for you. And you need to hear from Him. You need to listen to Him. Because that's important. And so we have this great story. It's building. The whole thing's being set up. We're seeing the inside workings of things. It's history. It's recorded in the history books, the annals of it. And here's this guy now suddenly in charge who hates the Jews. And the plot's settled We're going to kill them all. And we don't care. And so you and I have to come to that place. How do we handle it when we're in charge? How do we handle things when we are responsible to serve? Do we just serve and let God take care of things? How do we handle things when people mistreat us and don't do what we think they should do to us? Do we try to get even? Do we hold a grudge? Do we just keep building our case? Or do we let God have it and take care of it? Because God will. Now, here's the thing. God probably won't take care of it as fast as you want him to. But he will take care of it. And so are you willing to let him do that? And when somebody does something against you, are you willing to forgive and let it go? The choice is always ours, isn't it? Let's pray. Father.
throughout life, we have things happen around us and to us that aren't fair. Other people who, because of our stand for God, misinterpret what we're doing, don't believe us. And God, sometimes we have to suffer consequences because of that. Would you help us not to hold on to that and nurse a grudge? Would you help us to not get easily offended? Would you help us not get prideful, thinking we have a right to something? Would you help us to forgive and let you take care of things? Help us to live that life. And so, Lord, as we go tonight, let us go trusting you to take care of things because you will and you do. We trust you. In thy name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Thank you for joining us for tonight's service. If you would like to talk with someone about what you've heard, please visit our website at faith.ag or call us at 239-543-2700. If you're in the Fort Myers area and don't already have a church home, you're invited to join us for Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. We also gather on Sunday mornings at 815 and 1045 a.m. Faith Assembly is located at 7101 Bayshore Road. Join us again next time for Wednesday night at Faith Assembly. Faith Assembly's Wednesday night is a production of Faith Assembly Media Tech, North Fort Myers, Florida.